Open up your Bibles now, and I'm going to read and then preach, and we're going to get into God's Word and do some work together. I need to get to the right page first. Let me ask a question, though. Eyes up here. You don't need to raise your hand. But how many of you in here, you're at the early service on Daylight Savings. This is like, you know, the varsity team. <laughs> right? Right? Thank you. How, how many of you guys have figured out, you know, that Jesus is legit? I mean, he is real. He's the, he's the guy. He's his life. And you've studied it. And you've seen it. And you know that he's just, he's all that. Some of you are sitting here going, I, I didn't know this was varsity, you know, whoops, you know. And you didn't rate, you, don't, you know, you're still there just kind of testing the waters, and I understand that. But for the majority of us here, we've read the book and we've seen, man, when Jesus stepped out, he stepped out on water. You know, when he did things, he did things big. And when he died, he actually won and conquered sin and death. And the whole thing's just grand. Here's a cool insight. In today's text... We're going to look back before Jesus became great, if you would. We all know him as great. Age 30, he stepped on the scene, was baptized in the water, filled with the Holy Spirit, tested in the desert, and then went on his journey. But before that, he's just a normal dude, very normal. Born 100% God and 100% man. We just don't understand it, but we believe it. But he lived in obscurity for 30 years in Nazareth. And not one writer ever except today's text. Not one author ever, except what we have here, details what happened in those 30 years. And even the stories we're going to study today of those 30 years are so small. One little JPEG image we get a double click on until it blurs out and try to figure out what was Jesus doing? What was it like? There are some parabiblical alongside the Bible or extra biblical outside of the Bible is a better word ideas of what Jesus did when he was a kid. And they're not biblical, they're not, not confirmed, all kinds of crazy stories that when he came out of the womb there in the manger, he spoke, you know, fluent English or something like that, you know, and new, new stuff. And he was like, no, that it didn't happen. There's other stories of Jesus as a young boy that he would take clay pigeons, okay, little models and would clap his hands and they would become real birds and fly off and crazy, you know, just like, well, that sounds cool, but it's, <laughs> it didn't happen. Okay, it's not in the book. As a matter of fact, his, his pre-Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world days, those first 30 years, so encouraging to me because he was just faithful in obscurity, faithful in normalcy, faithful in what was obviously required of every good person, okay? Just do what you know to do and do it well. And then when God calls upon you, you'll be ready. And I would say most of us here today are probably just kind of wanting to be faithful in normalcy. You don't have any grand plan for your life. No, no grand, you're not going to try and walk on water. Maybe if you're a surfer, you will, but that's about it. It won't work, you know. But you're just, I just want to do right. And we're going to learn some stuff from, from Jesus' normal life. And so whether you're convinced of his greatness or not, today we're going to look at his normalness. As a matter of fact, I sat with a friend on Friday, two hours long. And this particular friend had given his life to Jesus in September just kind of tapped out late in his life but he still said i just i still need to know i don't i just i need more i just he's asking me as a friend and as a pastor i need more i need to be confirmed i need to know and i said you need to know that you know that you know that you know he said yeah that and i said okay i'll help you i'll get you i'll, I'll work I'll, I'll work with you and we prayed a prayer and i ordered some books for him to read and 
Here's the deal, though. When you, when you look at Jesus and just study him in his today's text, which is a real gift to us, this, this portion that Luke preserves for us, that Luke in his eyewitness interview said, that's interesting. That's, that happened? That needs to be detailed in the Gospels. That needs to be recorded because that's important. And as you get to know Jesus, so for those of you who are already fans and followers and therefore disciples of Jesus, you're going to be encouraged today. For those of you who are making those decisions, I, I also would hope that you would conclude, I'm going to follow this, this guy, this one Jesus. Let's just read a few verses. We left off last week with some old folks, Anna and Simeon. Okay? Anna and Simeon and their faithfulness and their normalcy, God blessed them and showed them the Messiah and used them to proclaim who he would be. Now picking up in verse 39 of Luke 2, it says, So when they had performed the things according to the law of the Lord, that is there in Jerusalem, 40-day-old baby Jesus, well, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Well, his parents, verse 41, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Huge insight to that. They lived in Nazareth, 8,500 miles away from Jerusalem, but every single year they grabbed everything they owned all their peoples and friends, and they went to Jerusalem to worship. They were dedicated in that way, so we know they had repetition in their church going, verse 42. And when he was 12, they've been doing this for 12 years now, now would be the time of his bar mitzvah, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. It's that time to celebrate. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. They would travel in groups, great companies of people, to make this journey more pleasant. And as they left with the journey, Mary would look at Joseph and both give thumbs up, men and women to travel separately and not together in a congregational way, but separate and men and women in this way. And they both assumed, you got, baby? you got Jesus? Yeah, I got Jesus. You got Jesus? I got him too, you know. And neither one of them had Jesus. As a matter of fact, verse 44 says, but supposing him to have been in the company, so he's somewhere, he's, he's here with the gang. Well, they went a day's journey. And then they sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. At night, they're looking for Jesus, Jesus, you know, looking for him amongst the group. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Such a rad verse. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get some out of it. Verse 46, it says, now it was after three days. Hey, parents, you ever lost your kids before? You know, like for like 13 seconds. You know, it is Horrifying. You just don't know, you don't know where your kid's at, you know, you're looking everywhere, the dryer and the washer, you know, and, and uh, it's just, it, there's nothing worse, or in a public in, in environment, in the mall or something, your kid disappears, where's the eye, you know, they're gone, it's, three days, they're looking for Jesus. <laughs> Losing your kid is, is bad. Losing the Messiah, hmm. <laughs> Mary and Joseph, you had one job, you know, you had one job, and it wasn't, to, oh my and Luke, listening to Mary, he's like, I got to put that in the story. She's like, no, don't add that. That's not a good, you know, I, that's a good one. Mary, this is a good story. Trust me. Oh, three days. Well, they found him in the temple. Oh, he's at church, this kid, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Wow. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. Oh, and his mother... Mother, moms, gotta love moms, said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. 
And we're going to study this verse. I don't want you to miss it. It's so important. These are the first recorded red letters and words of Jesus Christ ever. The first, as a, as a boy. And at first read, you would think he's being kind of rude. He's not. He's being very clear and directive of who he is. And he said to them, why did you seek me? I need you to hear this. He's not saying, why did you seek me? You shouldn't have. He's saying, why did you seek me? Make sure you seek me for the right reasons. When you seek me, know this. Know who I am. And he goes on to then describe who he is. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? <laughs> now, they're like you and I, very normal. And it says here specifically, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Now, you, you in their shoes would be like, Okay, we'll talk about that later. We got to go, you know. What are you doing here? It's like, why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And here's Jojo, Joseph, his biologically not father, his stepdad. He's like, uh, awkward. We'll talk about this on the road, son. You know, I must be about my father's business. He wasn't his father. He had a father in heaven. And again, Jesus wasn't being rude and obstinate and difficult. As a matter of fact, he was the opposite. He was being very clear and dedicated and also submitted to Mary and Joseph. And he got up and went back. And then for the next 22 years, or 28 years, or 18 years, let's go 18. 18 plus 12 is 30, right? Okay, not, math's not my strength. Anyways, 18 more years in Nazareth. Who later on we see in the scriptures, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's not a cool place. Okay, it's the worst. One of those towns where you just hope you don't break down in. You know, like, hey, let's drive through there and not stop. You know, we're not going to, no slow stops. There's a stop sign. Your wife would say, blow it, honey, go through it. You know, we're not stopping. <laughs> Nazareth. 18 years, more there. And then he jumps on the scene as we know him. So this, this little insight we get here to study, I hope that the Lord would meet us. Let's ask him to right now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, and we pray, Jesus, that you would have mercy on us as we study your word. It's so incredible that we get to study a 2,000-year-old writing of a 2,000-year-old story, and we're excited about it. My friends here, that we're here to study. I'm just encouraged by that. So much of the world has rejected you and rejected your word, yet really, honestly, so much of the world has accepted your word and accepted your son. There's so many Christians. There's so, there's, the church is so strong. It really is so vibrant. It is so pleasing to you. And we get to be a part, our little part here. Strengthen us today. May each one of us leave here, Lord, ready to repent of whatever's holding us back, ready to believe whatever it is you present to us, and to be like men and women, rising up like Mary and Joseph and seeking Jesus. We may have to leave the pack like they did. We may have to go back like they did. We may have to change direction, and that's okay. That's right, because Jesus is right. He's worth it, as he would ask us, why do you seek me? Not don't seek me, but make sure you seek me to be also about my Father's business. And so I pray for your help, Lord, as your teacher, that you would use me to teach what is true and what, what you want us to hear today. We thank you in advance. Most of all, just encourage us for the journey that lies ahead of us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. As I mentioned last week, Luke included for us the story of Simeon and Anna. 
These two that in their olden days had been faithful throughout their lives and God blessed them and used them to not only signify and celebrate who Christ was, but to include them in that process. You know what, as, as a, one who proclaims Christ to people is what I do, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. One of the key things that makes that authentic is that I enjoy him still that I get to experience him, that I love Jesus. And the same is true for you and for me who are leaders, life group hosts and life group leaders and men and women and fathers and mothers and musicians and greeters and servants. And we get to do this for Jesus. And he says, don't ever do it without him. Don't ever do it without him. Make sure you're doing it with him. And when you're enjoying him, it's been a constant theme in the last month or so for my life. Are you enjoying me, Lou? Because that's the sweet spot. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I want to make sure I don't forget to enjoy him now. You ever just got so busy working that you forgot to smile? You know, got a lot done. <sighs> feeling good about something. I'm not feeling good. You know, I got done, you know. And what? I want to get a lot done. I want to do right, but I want to enjoy the process. Well, Simeon and Anna, these guys worked hard their whole lives, and Jesus was introduced to them as a bundling baby boy full of joy and they had that and then they proclaimed make sure you're enjoying jesus too and i just love these little stories that luke includes if you're going to expand on chapter two just the faithfulness of all the characters okay simeon and anna and even joseph and mary and and even the shepherds and the angels everyone just doing their part and so too god would have us to learn and to grow and to be excited about being faithful in the little things and then enjoying the big things. Let's look at verse 39 and just study this out. We've got some ground to cover and I don't want to talk too long, so I'm just going to start teaching. It says, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. Again, seeing the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, these peasant hippies, Okay? Poor in nature, poor in reality, walking distances, and they're young, and they're still faithful to fulfill all the things that the law required. They then journey back to Nazareth. And I would say this. This is very important, that after they fulfilled the law of Moses, they went home and lived their life. They did what they were supposed to do, and then they had joy in what they went on to do. The Bible says, Jesus says it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be legit. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> everything else will be added unto you. Do what's right first. Get, that, get the big box checked in, filled in right. Oh, seeking the Lord and his pleasure, his precepts, his concepts, his ways. And then when you're done with that, the Lord, he, he, he sets you free. He allows you to live your life. He says, now go home to Nazareth. That's where you're from. Have a great time. Love your wife. Come, come back once per year. That was the law then. Check in with me in a real way. There was other prescriptions of the law then. They didn't just talk to God once per year. This was a, a major way. They would connect with God daily. Okay? In Deuteronomy, they were instructed to have the law written on their hearts and their minds and to put it on their doorposts of their houses and to speak it to their children. We know this was the culture. It was all about the Lord. But this is the big law. And I love the simplicity, and let me just speak to you all as far as your life and your decisions and your vocations and your retirement and your ministries and your service. When you know that you know that you've fulfilled the big box and you've done right with the Lord, you've committed to him, submitted to him, you've worshipped him, there's so much freedom just to live your life. 
to be the best man, the best woman, the best coach, the best, just be a friend to people. And when you, the Lord doesn't want you and I to feel like we're under this bondage and this noose and this shortage of freedom, but instead he says, how about you and I connect deeply? And then I'm gonna send you into the world to in normalcy bless your, your workplace. Don't you guys love church? I love church because we all come together and we all get blessed and seek the Lord, but then we all, you're the church, we all go out and be the church. And I can't go to all your places of business and go in, meet all your friends. I would get arrested, you know? <laughs> hey, here's my pastor. You know, you know, here's, you know, I'm not allowed in your place of business, but you are. And the Lord says, hey, check in with me. Get fired up, get stoked. Offer those sacrifices. Give of your first fruits. Do it here. Do it, do it in the temple and then go live your life. Because if you don't serve God and his will first, well, the opposite is true. The, the rest will never be taken care of. You'll live your whole life wondering what the heck's going on. You'll never find that great peace in, in, in the normal stuff, in parenting or gardening or cleaning your garage or the stuff you gotta do. But when you put the Lord in first, everything else makes sense. And so I'll tell you what, what does God have for you? What's his will for you? Well, connect with him. And, and don't worry about the small stuff. He'll, he'll work it out. This picture of Jesus going back for 30 years to this small town. Now, let's just, I'm really trying to see this because you're convinced Jesus is great. Not because of these 30 years, but these 30 years are part of his life. You're convinced Jesus is great because of all the crazy stuff he did. This is part of that process. And if you're like me, you like the big things in life, the important things, the big events, the, the, the walking on water portions, you know, and the, the things. And sometimes you just look at the little stuff. It's like it's inconsequential, unholy, unredeemable, irrelevant, and often irreverent. Eh, it doesn't matter. And we learn through this. No, no. It, our Jesus did that too. He went to Nazareth. He went to this place. But he had worshipped God first and when you do that no matter where you go because this is nazareth i don't want to talk too bad about nazareth but you need to understand it wasn't that awesome and he spent it'd be like living in otis <laughs> you know like i mean nothing nothing innately wrong with otis but let's just say you know steve jobs or mark zuckerberg you know these big guys are like you know what i want to do you know what I want? I want to go to Otis. That's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to have my, I'm going to launch my business out of Otis. You're like, I don't know, bro. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's a great plan. Maybe Hollywood or Orange County. Like, you know, you got to. And God says, hey, I do what I do. I do what I do. I'm going to go to Nazareth. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Otis. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Newport. I'm going to go to, to Halsey or to Drain or to, to Shed, Oregon. You know there's a town in Oregon called Shed, Oregon? Like, where you live? In the Shed? I mean, not, I mean, I live... <laughs> Whatever, Jesus was born in a shed, you know, so it's fine. And As a matter of fact, about four or five years ago, and I've been here for seven years now, or six years, I can't remember, six or seven years in August, I think six years, maybe seven, I'll do the math later. 
A good friend of mine, Tobias Cook, he's actually a pastor in Redmond now, worship leader. We were t- talking about getting him over here. We're like, hey, we, want, we need help. We'd, we'd love to have you. He's led worship here a couple times. He's just a great, good friend of mine. His wife's a great friend of my wife's. And it just made sense. And so we were praying about and trying to work out, can, can Tobias move here? And he had a painting business, Tobias Cook Painting. And so he was a painter and bivocational. And he was asking me good questions. He said, if I move to Newport, how many houses do I need to paint per year to offset the salary from the church? And how much? How, how long would it take? And what about housing? And is there, is there a, how's the house? market. I was like, oh, the housing market's great, bro. Don't worry about it. No, I'm just kidding. And he's asking good questions, right? Good, good questions that a man should ask for his wife and his two sons. And I said, here's the deal, Tobias. I'm not worried about those questions. How many houses you need to paint or how much, you know, you need to live and where you're, where you're going to live. I'm not even worried about it. That's, not, that's, not a, that's easy. What you need to figure out is, does God want you in Newport? Because if God doesn't want you in Newport and we get you the right house and you get jobs and we get you, if, if you're not supposed to be here, eh, you're not going to make it. This is Newport. Newport. Only pirates survive, you know? Newport. And I'm serious. I was like, I don't want you here, bro. I love you too much. I would never recruit you here against God's will. Like, it won't be cool. What you want is God's will for your life. And then you can go to Newport or Redmond or Ashland or Bend. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter as long as you're in God's will. And I love being in Newport primarily because I'm in God's will, because I've fulfilled the big box. Okay, I'm seeking him and his righteousness first. And it doesn't matter where I'm at. And when you do that, whether it's Nazareth or whether it's Oahu, you know, Hawaii, you know, or somewhere great, doesn't matter. As long as you're in God's will, it's going to be awesome. And I would just encourage you, what, what does God have for you right now to make your Nazareth, your Newport, your experience even greater? Are you, are you confirmed and convinced that you're seeking God and serving his will? Because if you are, you're allowed to be so free. You're allowed to just live in Newport and Lincoln City and Depot Bay and Yahats and Seal Rock. And you're allowed to be here and just smile. I'm so glad to be here. Okay, Seeking the Lord, loving my family, waiting on God to use me however he wants. And I'm going to bloom wherever I'm planted. And that's what makes a great community. It's great people that really understand who God is. An interesting thing, though, is that we know where Jesus lived for those 30 years, but we really have no idea what happened there. The stories that are included in his short life aren't even in Nazareth. They're the times he came to Jerusalem to worship. When he went back, it's told us that he goes to Nazareth. But when he leaves there, we only have this 12-year-old little story. There's only one story ever. We have no clue what the 30 years were really like. Now, I say that, and it's significant for me because I'm absolutely in love with Jesus. And I have no idea what God did with him for those first 30 years. And to me, what that speaks of is the faithfulness of God, even in the small things, to make great things out of our lives. And so you might be sitting here today, right now, as a matter of fact, you are sitting here today, (laughs) just letting you know, I see you, and you might have 30 years behind you right now, kind of just waiting on the Lord. I don't know what God's going to do in my life. I'm actually convinced at this point he's going to do nothing. It's been 30 years. It might be three years. It might be three months. Whatever the case is, something happens in our psyche that when we give our lives to the Lord, if nothing happens immediately, we're like, well, guess you didn't pick me. Guess I missed the boat. And we look at Jesus' story. It's like, no, no, 30 30 years, that's a long time. That's a long time to be faithful in the little things. 
to be forging character and faithfulness and disciplines and, and readiness for that time when John the Baptist, which would be the next story, shows up on the scene and paves the way for the Messiah. His older cousin, Jay the Beast, six months older than him, and would start to baptize and prepare the way. Behold, the Lamb of God. John would point to his old, younger cousin who takes away the sins of the world. What? My application for you and I is we all have years behind us and some decades and some weeks and some stuff that seems meaningless and useless. Some of it might even seem lost. Like, what was that about? That was just weird. I really invested my, my life there, and it, it, all, it came to nothing. I thought that job, I thought that career, I thought that marriage, I thought that friendship, I thought, I thought did, did it even count? And now you're like, ah, oh, it's all nothing. It all counts. It all counts. Because God is able to redeem, and he's gracious to include, and he shows us what he wants to do. Jo Jesus shows us that you can dedicate your days and your years to his service and in normalcy and still have an eternal impact. And so here we are today. You might be old, sitting here. Look around, there's some old people. It's fine. And I just love you guys because you got, you, got, you got a pulse and a purpose still. And wouldn't it be fun to say, man, I wonder if God has something else. What am I going to do? I, I can't fabricate or force it. Don't do that. But I can prepare myself to be available. I've taught you this. The greatest ability in Christianity is availability. And there's a tendency, whether young or old, to cram yourself so full of stuff that you're not available anymore. Even just in your mind, mental space. One of the speakers yesterday said that one of his disciplines he does, his name is Nate Holdridge, and he said one of the disciplines that he does is he likes to spend days in solitude, one, two days, three days at a time sometimes, just him and the Lord, no human contact. When I heard that, I almost vomited. You know, like, I was like, whoa, what would that be like? You know, Why would you do that? What would be the... I just started processing. Like That would be so difficult. And you imagine just telling your family, I'm not going to plug you in on the phone. It's going to be off for three days just to... And we're so busy sometimes. I thought that would be such a good, just a reset button. And yet, if you're old or young alike, you're just so busy. And sometimes you just don't have that antenna for what the Lord wants to do. Jesus, I guarantee you, was faithful and dedicated during those 30 years. He did have days of solitude. He was just normal too, had a job. He was a carpenter, worked, okay, blisters and calluses on his hands. Normal guy, but he was looking and seeking and anticipating that one day he'd get the call. One day things would happen. Reminds me of one of the kickers to a college football team. I told the story before. I can't remember a name. Or it was the Tennessee Titans, or not that the, at the NFL. It was the Tennessee Longhorns, or is that, is that football? At Texas, Texas A&M. Thank you, thank you, coach. And uh, he was a walk-on freshman, not even on the team. Had never even gotten any snaps. He's an extra point kicker. And long story short, their, their varsity long or, uh, kicker got hurt, and their second string pulled a muscle warming up, and they had nobody for the big game. And so they went to his dormitory. They sent cops to go get him, to ha have him escorted to the field. And he's a freshman in college. You ever been a freshman in college before? On game day, you know, not at the game, like... Chances are you're not going to be ready to do anything, you know. And, and they showed up, and there he was, you know, eating chips, watching the game. And they said, hey, are you, are you inebriated? Are you sober? Are you? And he's like, I'm good to go. And they grabbed him and suited him up and put him out there. And he went on to kick like five extra points and got the ball at the end. And ready. Are you ready right now? Ah, my life's too normal. 
Me? I'm not going to be used. I've already missed that boat. I had my opportunity, and I blew it, you might say. I'm just... Put yourself in a position of availability. Put your antenna up. Lord, here am I. Send me. Every day. What if that day doesn't come, Luke? What if it's been a week? What if it's been a year? What if I just... Okay, do it in faithfulness. You don't know when the Lord's going to call upon you. This brings excitement to me. On Friday, I actually got a text. Friday night, like at 9.30, almost 10. Friday night. From Rob Verdine, the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Corvallis. He said, Luke, I'm not feeling good. I'm sick. And not only am I sick and not feeling good, but Nate Holdridge is sick. He's puking right now. So could you possibly pray about leading the, the conference tomorrow and possibly teaching as well? Pray about it. You know, this is like, I got seven hours to prepare, you know. And I'm like, so I sent back a text that said, fail to read. You know, this text didn't go through, you know. <laughs> this text didn't work. And, you know, and no, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be ready. I spent the next hours putting together a sermon and got up at five the next day and spent more time getting ready. Okay, okay. When I got there, everyone was fine. No one was sick anymore. I was like, Lord, what was that about? He said, just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> and I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I believe that those seven pages of notes are a sermon for me that I need to preach to myself, evidently. <laughs> well... I just want to live in that anticipation of being used by the king for his glory. As a matter of fact, yesterday, some of the stories that were shared about interactions with people along the journey of life and how people will, will inspire you, encourage you, and God's going to use that to change the world. And some of the speakers I've known for a while yesterday and just to see what God's doing through their lives. And I just prayed with Eddie Townsend. He's up there teaching your kids right now in the 8 to 10-year-old room. And I prayed with him and said, God, you don't, we don't know who we're going to encourage today. Down here, the big kids or the, the big kids up there. And God, you're going to use us. We're just putting our antenna up. Do something through our menial Newport Nazareth lives. And I love how Jesus just, he changed the world. But before that, he lived in Nazareth. And I want to change the world. And in the meantime, I'm living in Newport at the same time. And so are you. And Jesus, he, he just did so many things here. He was in submission to Mary and uh, Joseph, his stepdad, for 30 years in obscurity. So this is a word for somebody. I'm going to move on from this point in a minute. But maybe you feel like you've missed the boat and you missed your opportunity. And you would say all the positions and all the energy, all the opportunities given to the younger folks. There's going to be no opportunity for me. And I've been waiting for 30 years and nothing. Well... You see this story, and you say, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust the Lord. Because here's the deal. It isn't about how fast you can get things done for the Lord. You ever fall into that trap? You get saved, and you get sanctified, and you get filled. It's like, I better do something now. Remember when Paul got saved? His name wasn't Paul. His name was Saul. And when he got saved, God's like, so cool. I'm going to use you to write half of the New Testament, okay? You ready for that? And Paul's like, yeah. He's like, no, no, not, not yet, dummy. And he sends him to the desert for 13 years. He tells his own testimony in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. And for 13 years, the apostle Paul, Saul, is on the backside of the desert learning things, submitting to Jesus and all of that. And finally, there's a revival. They're up on the Mediterranean coast, and Barnabas needs a helper. And he said, I know a guy. I haven't seen his Instagram post in a while. I have to go find him. 
goes on a mission, finds Saul, brings him back, says, hey, there's a revival, there's a bunch of Gentiles, and I know you know the Gentiles, and I know you know you're going to be perfect for them. Would you consider joining the ministry? And here's Saul, who would become Paul, who would write 13 letters of the New Testament, 14 if you count Hebrews. What? It's not a matter of how fast you can get things done for the Lord. It's a matter of how long you can stay faithful to the Lord in the process. Don't worry about the, the, the quick stuff. Don't worry about it. Stay faithful right now. Matter of fact, when I was 23, I got married at age 23 and hired on at the Ashland Christian Fellowship as the coffee pastor and uh, running the coffee house. And, and it's, it's a real deal. Coffee pastors are important. And I got, that was, that was my start. And I remember I would, I would, I would preach the Bible as a college pastor too. And I, would, I, would, I, had, I, had, a, I had a comparison complex I would find other guys that were ahead of me, and I would ask and do history and look and see, what were they doing at 23? And at age 23, some of these guys I esteemed and liked, they weren't coffee pastors. They were real pastors. They were legit. And I started to oh, man, I'm never going to do what they've done. I'm never going to be anything. And I had a comparison complex. Don't do that. It's not a matter of how fast you can get things done. It's really a matter of how faithful you can stay in the process. God's going to use you exactly how he wants to. And the goal is to be ready when he's ready to answer that call. So here's a question. Are you, are you ready? Ah, it's been too long. Are you ready? My past. Can he use you? Have you surrendered your future? I don't worry about my past so much. Don't look back. Look ahead. I didn't even mean to mention the Apostle Paul, but can you imagine 13 years in Damascus in the... Saudi Arabian desert by himself. After getting kicked out of Jerusalem, he tried. He already tried the ministry. It didn't work. And God was revealing to him such great things that he could write the New Testament. And you can imagine after 13 years, you're like, man, I should probably go check out the want ads, like for sure. You know, I should probably do something like with my life. And he was a tent maker. He wasn't jobless. He worked. But you might have given up on your life right now. As a matter of fact, look at verse 40. It says, and the child grew, and he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus wasn't just twiddling his thumbs for 30 years in Nazareth. Luke doesn't tell us what this looked like. Speaking with Mary and maybe some of his family members, they said, oh yeah, 30 years in Nazareth. And while he was there, he was growing in wisdom and spirit and strength, and God's grace was on him. Like, whoa, what did that look like? That must have been cool to see little, little boy Jesus growing and, and getting stronger. And during that time, he applied himself in preparation to be available. Okay, you could just consider he, he, he made the most of Nazareth. If you knew you were going to do something great in the near future, whether physically or even emotionally or economically, if you knew, okay, on this date, this is what's going to happen, you would start making great great efforts to get ready for that day you you would but if you don't know then you probably aren't you're just, you know trying to stay better than the rest better than the person next to you stay out of the headlines you know i just don't want to just don't want to go to jail that's my it's my high goal in life make the most out of nazareth now, a lot of people say stuff like you know once my health gets real bad once i start you know real pain then i'll I'll, I'll lose the weight or I'll, I'll get in shape. Once it becomes a real problem, they don't, they don't proactively seek that. And there's other tendencies. Once, once I 
Once I have kids, I'll start saving money and getting my finances in order. Once things are important, right now I'm just a single person. I can do whatever. I don't need to worry about finances. Or, you know, maybe once I get married, I'll start to be more responsible for what's happening. And here's the deal. Jesus is living off the grid, doing nothing in our own eyes. And he's growing in strength and in spirit. And he's preparing for what God has for him. So he would be ready. He grew, and here's just a quick question I'd ask you. How are you growing and becoming strong in the spirit right now? What are you doing to prepare yourself? Again, if you knew you're going on a mission trip, okay, to Thailand, you would be brushing up on your tie, your gospel tie. How do I give the gospel in Thai? You know, you'd be, you know, and you don't know what the Lord's going to have for you, like that kicker who got called upon moments before the game. Like me on Friday night when Rob's like, hey, can you preach to 600 men? No big deal. What are you doing right now just to prepare your heart? How are you growing, okay? You, you guys know this, right? You won't grow on accident, okay? At least not the right way. You, you, go, you grow out, you know? You're not going to grow bigger and, and better on accident. As a matter of fact, you have to set the bar higher, and you have to make the weight heavier. You have to set the timer against you. You have to do some stuff to make it hard. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen spiritually. We understand this in all terms. I want to save money. I got to make some money and save it, spend less. I got to do some discipline, set some parameters here. Physically, it's super easy to understand physically. I'm not going to get stronger on accident. I'm not going to get better and faster on accident. I've got to put myself in an uncomfortable situation. Matter of fact, on Friday, I did a CrossFit workout. It's actually a competition, and one of the movements that they included was my least favorite movement. I don't like it. It's just not fun. It's an Olympic lift, overhead squat snatch, and super uncomfortable and hard. I'm not good at it. And so guess what I don't do in the gym when I'm there? That move, ever. And so in this particular competition, it's like, hey, we have that move. And I'm like, cool, fun for me. But it was interesting. On Friday, I showed up, did the competition. They set the clock. They set the weight, and it was go time. And I actually did better than I thought I would. And since that Friday, I've been thinking about that same movement. Third Saturday and Sunday, I've been thinking about it. I kind of want to get back to the gym and try it again and add some more weight. And I kind of got this. But it wasn't until I got uncomfortable with it. It wasn't until I wanted to grow in it and was forced to grow in it. And you're a spiritual person, not a physical person. We're not talking about muscles here. We're talking about faith. We've been asking you to, to consider joining a life group or hosting a life group or serving in the Sunday school or going to the discipleship on Monday night for the gals or, or participating in April or helping out in the audio video ministry or doing just growing. Uh, I don't know, man. It sounds, I don't really like that movement. You know, I don't really like that exercise. That sounds a little bit, I don't know. Guess what? You're not going to grow ever on accident. You have to grow on purpose. And this might not happen here at the church, okay? You might not do something here that's uncomfortable, but you need to do something in your own life with your spouse or by yourself that is uncomfortable that will force growth in your life. Okay, get up early, go to bed early, read a book, disciple, get something, do something different that isn't easy, isn't normal, that is right in order to grow. You guys are amazed at Jesus from 30 years on, obviously. What did he do before then? Stop. He was growing. He was getting ready. And when he showed up to the mat, when he showed up to the place, when he showed up to the stage, ready to go, he wasn't like, oh, 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 it's, I'm 30 now? Oh, what were we doing? What was I supposed to do? Oh, my father's business. That's right, age 12. Got this. I'm on point. I know what I'm doing. We get great energy and great clarity 
So here's a question. Are you, are you growing? Are you, are you part of a life group or going to one or part of any discipleship at all? Or are you, are you too busy or too lazy? Where's your excuse? It says he grew in wisdom also, not just strength. Read verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He got stronger by doing stuff. And he also was filled with wisdom. I like that word wisdom because it speaks of knowledge, applied knowledge in that time. Okay? And it, I'll just be, I'll, I'll get real, real, real with you. I, I just, my mind doesn't really understand the God-man Jesus, the God-boy Jesus. Like, he grew in wisdom. So did he not know anything and had to learn everything? You know, was he, a, was he a prodigy, a genius? I don't know all that. But he applied himself regardless, and he grew in wisdom. He, he read the scriptures that he had available. He, he found what was there and made it his. Where are you growing in wisdom right now? And have you realized this? We have so much knowledge, so much info. The NCAA March Madness Tournament of Champions begins this next week. The brackets are released on Thursday, I believe. And there are people, hundreds and thousands of people, who study college basketball teams and coaches and players in order to fill out their brackets with wisdom to win a tournament that means nothing. <laughs> nothing. And I do the tournament every year with some people, and we compete. We actually pay money to play, and the winner gets all of it. You know how much we pay to play? A dollar. You know, like 20 people. It's not about the money. It's not even, I, why do we do this? And, and I do it as a Fairweather follower fan. I'm not even a fan. I don't watch any college basketball until this tournament. But I see people that are so smart in this college tournament. Oh, have you heard about this? I'm like, no, I haven't heard about any of that. They're using a the ball still, right? They're using a the ball. Okay, I got that part. I know how to, I know how to fill this out. And I, there's so much of what we do that we apply ourselves to know and be the best in, whether it's college basketball or some sort of sport, extracurricular, non-sinful activity. Okay, it's not sinful, but it can take over our lives. I used to be a real avid snowboarder. I used to be a real avid runner. I used to be a real avid, you name it. Okay, what are you an at? What are you, that's fine. Here's my question. Are you growing in wisdom right now? Are you applying yourself to the spiritual things? Are you reading a proverb a day at least? You know, just a proverb. I just want to grow in wisdom. I want to know, I want to be ready. I want to be ready when I'm called upon. I got to get some wisdom, not just facts about sports or facts about finances or facts about politics. Stop that, by the way, please. You know, I'm so smart in politics. No, you're actually, you just proved it wrong. You know, politics don't make you smart. And man, focus on the things that will last forever, okay? Because this isn't a tournament of champions that will come and go in March. This is right and wrong, good and bad, heaven and hell, sin and righteousness. And Jesus did all this. Look at this. I'm running out of time. I spent way too long on that. I'll do better in the next service. Look at verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Uh, his, his peasant parents, again, taking the initiative to lead their children well in the things of God. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, can I just encourage you? This is your mandate, your job and responsibility to fund youth camps for your kids. My parents did that for me. They, I remember going to camps. I remember going to retreats. I remember getting baptized. My mom encouraged me to get baptized when I was six years old. And I was too embarrassed. And I didn't do it. And then when I was 19, my mom, again, sitting back there, encouraged me. Hey, they're doing baptisms again, honey. You know, you should probably, okay, mom, I'll do it. You know, and, and I loved Jesus, and I was wayward and wandering. But parents who influence their kids to love Jesus are doing well, taking them to church, showing them the truth. Yesterday, like I said, I took Noah and Nemo to this men's conference. 
Okay? I really didn't know if that was a good idea or not. <laughs> Nemo spent half the conference upside down on the chair with his shirt half off. You know, he's <laughs> seven years old, you know, counting lights, you know, and just eating snack after snack. And I'm like, oh, okay. And you know, Noah did his best and sang some songs and prayed one time and wrote three words in a notebook. You know? And as we left the conference, both boys said, hey, Dad, that was awesome. When's the next one? You know, when's the next one? Can we go again? I was like, I don't know when the next one is, and you'll probably go again, yes, for sure. And I just love these guys taking their kids and discipling them in this way. Verse 42, it says, And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey, and they sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was after three days that they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Stop right there, eyes up here. So many things we could talk about, specifically for what did happen. They went to Jerusalem for the feast, multiple days in length, and then they all left as a group. And one parent thought the other parent knew where Jesus was, and one parent or both parents thought Jesus was with the company, Jesus is here, and, and he wasn't there. They left Jesus at church. Simple question, have you ever gone to church with Jesus and then left church, left the temple, and left Jesus there? You ever all of a sudden you're in the, you're in the car, and, you, and when you're here so good in the Lord, and then you get on the Highway 101 and you're a pagan? You know, I mean, just as soon as you get out there and Jesus is back there and you've left him and you're back, to, and you're, it happens. We forget often and we sometimes assume, well, my spouse is doing good with Jesus. She or he still has Jesus. Or maybe you look at the church and say, well, my church is doing good. They have Jesus. They, and you, listen, they, the ones in charge of to be with Jesus like you individually, they'd left him there. And so they make this journey back. And again, in order to go back to Jesus, simple question, what do you have to do even today to find Jesus again? Where do you have to go back to? What do you have to leave? There's things in your life. We've all experienced this on small degrees or large scales. When you're walking your life, only you know. I'll never judge you, but you know I'm not right with Jesus. I've, I'm going through the motions. I've done, I've done my part, but now I'm doing my own thing. And you need to stop what you're doing and go back. You need to possibly break off relationships with those who don't have Jesus either and, and go back. And you need to, what it says in the book of Revelation, three R's, repent, remember, and repeat. To repent of the stupid stuff that's gotten in the way. The church at Laodicea, the, or the church at Ephesus, the, the church that had left Jesus, they just, you left your first love. He said, repent, just say, just apologize. And there's a warning there. I was reading this the other day. Jesus said, if you don't repent, I'll take away my candlestick, just like that. I'll take away my presence altogether. Ooh. <laughs> I don't want that. Repent. If Jesus is not in your life and you know it, repent. And then remember what it was like. What was it like when it was so sweet with Jesus in your life? I've been walking with Jesus for over 20 years now, at least in my adulthood, in my seriousness. And I remember what it's like to actually pursue him and go after him and how hard I can go after Jesus. I know. And the Lord says, remember those days and then repeat them. Go back to them. 
What was it like when you were on fire with the Lord, when things, nothing got in the way, when it was so sweet? Were you getting up early and spending time with him? Were you going to bed early or maybe even late to get up earlier to stay away from the things of the world? Were you going to church dedicated? Were you serving? Were you sharing? What was it like? And that's what the book of Revelation tells you and I, and we see this. They go find Jesus at the temple. It doesn't say that they found him at the bowling alley. It doesn't say they found him elsewhere. It says they found him at the temple. Listening and talking. I like this. When they found Jesus, he was doing two things. He was speaking and listening. Did you know he's doing the same thing right now? Right now, Jesus is listening. He's listening to you, to your prayers, to your utterances, your, your mutterings, your moanings. He hears you. This is so easy, so, so elementary, but do you believe it? I go through life every, I go, I, 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 life's tough for all of us, okay? And for some, sometimes I think life's tough for me. And sometimes I wonder if, if anybody knows. And Jesus is like, I, I do, I'm listening, I'm right here, bro. I'm right here, do you, do you know how right here I am? And if you and I would just remind ourselves, he's right here. Oh. And we cast our cares on him, knowing, not only is he listening, but he's talking, like here. He speaks through his word and his spirit and his people. He speaks. They show up to the temple, and there's Jesus listening and talking, just like he's doing right now, today. Verse 47 says, all who heard him were amazed and astonished. The same is true today. When you get into his word to listen to him, you will be astonished every time, I promise you. You'll be like, no way. <laughs> Crazy. And when, you, when you receive, when, when you listen to him, and when you take the time to talk to him, you take the time. I know he's there listening. I know he sees all. I know he's, he's, you know. Well, do you take the time to actually engage him? When you do, I feel, I feel so good. Astonished. They were astonished. Verse 48 says, and so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And I believe Jesus is correcting her when he does say, I'm about my father's business. Because that wasn't his father. He's being gentle and kind. His father was God the Father. But Jesus then says to his parents, why did you seek me? Do you not know I must be about my Father's business? Verse 50, but they did not understand this saying. I don't have time to develop this. I'm just going to say it. You guys got to write it down and think it later. Come to the 6 p.m. tonight. <laughs> In Scripture, study... In application, there is a rule called the rule of first mention. It's a principle and a rule in hermeneutics. And the first time you see something said or introduced ever in the scriptures is often the key to unlocking other parts of the scriptures as to its purpose. The very first time we see Jesus Christ speak, he says, I'm here to be about my father's business. You would be wise to tune in and say, well, what business is your father in? What business are you referring to because they didn't understand it next verse uh, i'm not sure what he's talking about let's just go jesus we'll talk about this on the road you're kind of in trouble you're still god but you're in trouble let's go you know <laughs> you're still in charge but this is just, you made us look funny you know whatever i must be about my father later on in jesus ministry he would use the same phraseology i must i must i must he would say later on in the gospel of luke i must go preach to the other cities. He would also say 
in the scriptures to one man, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today and have fellowship. I must be a part of your life. He would also say, and they never liked this, I must suffer and be rejected and crucified and killed and on the third day rise from the dead. What? And they never liked that. They never, every time you say that, I don't know what you're saying, you know. I must. And there was only one time that Jesus ever said, you must, you must, you must. And it was to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. I must be about my father's business. You must be born again. His business is the business of being born again, making that way for you and I. I need you to get this. They didn't. They didn't understand. Nicodemus, ruler of the law, the children didn't get it. Jesus was on mission, his father's mission, that people would be born again, set free from sin and shame, and secure to go to heaven when they die. That's it. That's my business. This is important for me because there are so many diversities of Christianity and application and purpose in our life. What should we do with our lives? How, how should we go in missions and humanitarian projects and these things and food shelters and all the things and all of that is part of Christianity. Jesus, though, said, you know what my business is? Heaven. I'm here to rescue souls. I'm here that you might be born again. That was his burden. And as your pastor, as your friend, my, my biggest concern, and I hope you would share this with me, is that people would be born again. That people would be born, they'd be saved. Because once you get that big box filled, all the other things stay centered on this mission. There are so many churches that drift into other auxiliary missions. Other things that are good, that are, that are good, but they're not the best. Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. They're in the temple, learning, speaking, sharing. I'm going to have the worship team come up and join me. And I just think this is such a ground zero moment in Jesus' 12-year-old life. This is what it's about, guys. Don't be distracted by all the other things and don't be diluted in your dedication and discipline to the things that my father has put on my heart. Because one life you live, and it's a short one, and it's purposeful, and God has a plan for you and for me, and whether you feel like you're in your Nazareth right now, or it's been 30 years or three years or three months, and God hasn't done anything with you, whatever the case is, he is about his business. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. And I would encourage you, every man and woman here, to respond to Jesus today, to come to the table of communion. You, you, I can't take your communion for you. Don't let your spouse take it for you. You take it for you. And you give your life to Jesus anew, not to be saved again. You can't do that, but you can re-up your dedication. See, I want to grow in strength. I want to grow in wisdom. I want to be set apart. Lord, would you use me? And if the Lord says, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to, just be ready. I'll, I'll text you. Be ready. I'll get at you. You just make yourself ready. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for myself. Lord, I want to run hard. I want to finish well. 
want to do much for, for your kingdom, and I know my brothers and sisters do too. So we submit to you, and we follow your lead, little 12-year-old lead. We follow your parents' lead, just being dedicated. We follow the, the Nazareth lead. We say, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Let's do that. Let's do it. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would anoint us to do that, to be pleasing to you. Even as we come to the table, may we be encouraged that our sins are forgiven, that we can be and are born again if we believed in you. Now we can receive those texts at 9.38 at night. Are you ready? We can step up to discipleship groups and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to grow. I'm a little uncomfortable, but I'm doing it. I want to be all that I can be. So be pleased, Lord, in our worship to you. May it be from you. May it be to you. May it be through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.